0: We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles. Turn to the book of Hebrews and the fifth chapter. The book of Hebrews and the fifth chapter. And I'll be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 1 through 10. Actually, this is the second part of a sermon entitled, Christ, a Priest Forever. So I'll be focusing specifically on verses 5 through 10, but I want to read verses 1 through 10 for the full context this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here we read, beginning in verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. No one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace today. Thank you for bringing us here to worship you together as the family of God, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide, and that he would show us wondrous things from your word this morning, that he would grant us understanding of the text that we're going to consider, that he would renew our minds according to your truth, that he would stir up within us a love for the Lord Jesus, and a desire to do His will in all the things that we do and say. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, to be a high priest in ancient Israel was to minister, as it were, between two different worlds. For on one hand, the high priest was a representative of God. And what he did, he did first and foremost in the service of God. And for this reason, the high priest had to meet all the qualifications that God mandated for His holy office. For not only was it required that he be chosen from the right family, from the right priestly line, but he also had to have the right appointment, having been formally recognized and set apart before the nation as that one individual, that one office bearer who would offer sins and sacrifices for the sins of the people, for he could not appoint himself to this office, but his office was God-given, and what he did in fulfilling his office, he did as a means of communicating God's will to God's people. In fact, we could say that through the presence of the high priest in Israel, heavenly realities were brought down to the earth, as the high priest and his ministry reminded the people of what the world above required of them. Then on the other hand, the high priest in Israel also stood as a representative of the people, not just a representative of God before the people, but a representative of the people, of those who dwelt on the earth below For the high priest had to come from among the people, and he had to be a godly man, one who possessed the character that was needed to fulfill his holy calling. In fact, as we saw last Sunday, the high priest of Israel was required to possess three critical character traits in particular, which enabled him to minister effectively among the people. And you'll recall these, I trust. First, he had to be a man who was characterized by spiritual gentleness, spiritual gentleness. In fact, we saw that in verse 2. For as one who was called to labor to those who are ignorant and to those who are wayward, the high priest could not be harsh or impatient, but rather he had to possess a genuine sensitivity a gentleness to the spiritual struggles of the people. Then secondly, the high priest in Israel had to be a man of genuine humility, a man of genuine humility, for not only was he to possess an awareness of his own weakness, which would keep him from boasting in his own strength, but he was not to be a man who sought honor for himself. Rather, his desire was to be for the honor of God and of heaven and for the honor and the good of God's own people. For God's people did not need, did not need a high priest who was only in his office for himself or for what he could personally gain from his office. But the people needed a high priest who desired above all to be obedient to God even in suffering, and to be a blessing to the people that he was called to serve. And needless to say, when Israel had high priests who demonstrated this type of calling and this type of character, the people of God were were greatly blessed, and Israel was greatly furthered in her purposes as God's people on the earth. And when they did not have these kind of men Israel suffered greatly. And sadly there have been times in the life of ancient Israel when the high priests were corrupt and greedy and self-promoting and there was always the possibility that other unqualified ungodly priests could rise up and exercise power and plague God's people for all of the human high priests were sinful men All of them, although they were to be men of character, were capable of gross sin. That was the reality. And yet, brethren, the good news of this book of Hebrews, and the good news of the gospel in particular, is the fact that God has set before us in the person of Jesus Christ our perfect high priest, our perfect priest. High priest. Yes, the high priest of Israel, the human high priest of Israel was to be a man from a particular line and was to be a man of great character and integrity. None of them could measure up. None of them could fit the bill completely, but one, according to scripture, has measured up. One, according to scripture, fulfills the bill completely. And that's Jesus Christ. For when it comes to all the qualifications that God imposed upon those who would be high priests in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ exceeded them all. Now notice I use the word exceeded, not just met them all, but exceeded them all. And when it came to possessing the true character of a high priest before God and before men, jesus possessed a a gentleness and a meekness and a passion for the honor of god those are the three characteristics that we mentioned earlier he had gentleness meekness and passion for the honor of god and he was that perfect and flawless high priest who is beyond all comparison for when we look at jesus christ we see that jesus christ perfectly embodies He perfectly demonstrates all that the high priest was ever called and appointed to be. Jesus ever lives to show us what a perfect high priest does in securing God's blessings for his people. And by the way, he's still doing this at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's still showing us What a perfect high priest does. He's still securing us. He's interceding for us continually. He's still securing for us all the blessings that God has reserved for his people. Jesus purchased all those blessings. All those blessings are in him and reserved in him. And he is distributing those blessings every single hour, every single moment to the people of God because of his high priestly work. So here in the rest of our text this morning, verses 5 through 10, the the writer reveals how everything that he wrote about in verses 1 through 4 applies to Jesus. And he urges us to see in Jesus, and I'm urging you as your pastor this morning, to see in Jesus Christ that qualified, competent, sympathetic, approachable high priest that all of us long for. That all of us desperately desire, that we pray for, that we need continually, that we desire to serve. How does Jesus meet or exceed all the qualifications of a perfect high priest, both in terms of his calling and his character? Well, the writer first addresses here in verses 5 and 6, notice this, verses 5 and 6, our Lord's own exaltation and appointment "...as a high priest in the very presence of God, our Lord's own exaltation and appointment as a high priest in the very presence of God the Father in heaven." Notice what he writes here in these verses. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, him being God the Father, who said to him... You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so what does the writer point out here? First of all, with respect to the exaltation and appointment of Christ as our great high priest. Well, let us notice that the writer points out three things, three things That not only establish the legitimacy of Christ's high priesthood, but they also distinguish Christ from every other high priest. Three things. First, the writer declares here that Christ did not take it upon himself to become a high priest like one who was only interested in promoting himself, but rather Christ delighted in receiving his appointment directly from God the Father. Directly from God the Father. In fact, the writer makes it very clear in our text that the one who chose Christ, the one who appointed Christ for his office as our high priest and divine mediator, identified and addressed Christ, how? As my son. Notice that. My son. And this title, my son, is quoted here from Psalm 2 and verse 7, in which God the Father addresses the Messiah to whom he promises all the nations as his inheritance. And needless to say, no other high priest was ever addressed in this manner. In no instance throughout the Bible do you find a human high priest being addressed by God the Father as my Son in the way that Jesus Christ is being addressed here in this text, given that this address is really Christ's induction into the priesthood that Jesus Christ had. For Christ's exaltation and appointment had been divinely appointed, and the pronouncement of his priesthood had been made by God the Father himself, who had had incorporated it and recorded it in Scripture, namely Psalm 2 and verse 7, which we read a few moments ago. Secondly, the writer would have us to note that when Christ's high priesthood was inaugurated, it was divinely established. It was divinely established. For when Christ was appointed as our high priest, the Father declared here according to verse 5, today... I have begotten you. Today I have begotten you. And this is a very interesting phrase that needs a moment or two of explanation. I have begotten you. What does this mean? This is not a reference to Christ's human birth. Nor is it a reference to a 24-hour day. Notice the text says today... I have begotten you, nor does it refer to some event within the limited span of our Lord's earthly life and ministry, but rather this statement, today I have begotten you, is a reference to that time in eternity past, to that eternal day when God the Father and God the Son entered into a covenant together. They entered into a covenant together, a covenant or agreement intended to save all those whom the Father had chosen for salvation. And under that covenant, which we call the covenant of redemption, God, the Son, agreed in obedience to God, the Father, to become a man, to become the mediator and the redeemer of God's elect. And upon that agreement, the Father declared to Christ Today I have begotten you. Today I set you apart sovereignly and uniquely as my only begotten Son, as my beloved Son, in order that you might fulfill the divine mission that I have appointed for you and the divine mission that Jesus Christ so willingly accepted. What was that mission? Well the answer is revealed in the third thing that the writer unfolds here in our sermon text and in verse 6 in particular and that is our Lord's eternal priesthood. Our Lord's eternal priesthood. Notice here in verse 6 that the Father declared to Christ the Son in another place, and this is quoted in Psalm 110 in verse 4, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And, of course, the order of Melchizedek, as we'll see more in the future, was a priestly order without beginning and without end an order which only Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God could be a part of. And we'll learn more about this order because I've asked Brother Kevin to preach on Christ and Melchizedek when we get to Hebrews chapter 7, which is not far away. Therefore, brethren, as we string together these scriptural quotations that the writer presents here. Remember a quote from Psalm 2 and verse 7, also here a quote from Psalm 110, and we consider them in reference to the high priesthood of Christ, which is the context here. We immediately begin to see why Christ was not only qualified to be a priest by virtue of his calling and his character, but he was exceedingly more qualified than any other by virtue of of who commissioned him. Who commissioned Christ? Who sent Christ? Well, the answer is God the Father himself. God the Father himself and Christ was commissioned and sent from all eternity as the eternal Son of God. And yet while we should certainly rejoice in Christ's qualifications, with respect to his eternal nature and his deity, we should also rejoice in his qualifications with respect to his humanity. Not just his deity, but with respect to his humanity. And especially as it concerns his perfect character as one who can sympathize with us, as one who willingly sacrificed his own life for the honor of God and for his people. And I don't know about you, brethren, but I am so thankful this morning for the humanity of Jesus Christ. Oh, we glory and rejoice in his divinity as we should. But it's his humanity that touches us deeply. It's his, hum- his humanity that enables us to benefit from his work. It's his humanity that enables him To sympathize for us. And continuing here in verse 7. To explain why Jesus is so qualified to be our high priest. The writer reminds us of Christ's humanity. And he reminds us in particular of what Christ suffered. Of what Christ suffered. And how his own godly character was revealed through what Christ endured. For notice verse 7. Of Hebrews chapter 5. We read here. In the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. With loud cries and tears. Notice that. With loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because. Of his reverence. And so in fulfilling his role. As our great high priest. A role that required him to be a human being a role that required him to take flesh and blood as we possess Jesus experienced for himself the depths of human weakness Jesus experienced for himself the depths of human weakness you mean Jesus has experienced all that I experienced indeed In fact we could argued that to a degree and to a depth that you and I never experienced, he took upon himself human weakness. In fact, the writer states vividly here in verse 7 that in the days of his flesh, in the days of his humanity, he offered up prayers and supplications. He prayed as a human being prays. And the idea here is that he's praying with great intensity, with great emotion, with pleading. No doubt in this particular context, those prayers and supplications were for none other than himself. Who's he praying for here? For himself. For as Jesus prayed for himself, he did so with loud cries and tears. Here's a side of Jesus we don't consider that often, but we should. Jesus is praying for himself with prayers and supplications with great intensity. He is praying for himself with crying and tears. Now where did this take place? The writer of Hebrews doesn't indicate here in our our sermon text, but most commentators considering the whole of the New Testament See here in verse 7 a reference to our Lord's prayers for himself in the garden, remember? Where he prayed earnestly, where we're told back in the Gospels, namely in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 39 and 42, that Jesus prayed. And when he prayed, he prayed earnestly. He prayed with with prayer, with, with supplication, with crying, with tears. And what did he say? He said, my father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Does that sound like a man who's feeling the depths of human weakness? Indeed. Nevertheless, he said, not as I will, but as you will. And we we're also told in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 that as Jesus offered up earnest prayers and supplications, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Again, an indication of the earnestness, the intensity of his prayers, for even as Jesus interceded for himself. Now, it's amazing he's Praying this way because he knows as the Son of God what the Father has revealed for his life. He knows that he can trust in his Father's care. And yet there is also this profound humility about our Lord that we see here in his human weakness. And this profound humility not only qualified him to be our high priest... But it set him apart like no other that occupied that role. No other high priest went through that kind of activity. No other high priest went through that kind of suffering. Because no other high priest was called to do what Jesus was called to do. For in praying here to the one who could save him from death, Jesus not only revealed, hear me. He not only revealed how deeply and completely he took on our nature. If there's any question as to whether Jesus took on our nature, let it be settled here. Not only revealed how deeply and completely he took on our nature, that he tasted what we have tasted. But Jesus also revealed how dependent he was in his own humanity upon the power and the strength of God alone. On the power and strength of God alone. When Jesus in his humanity cried out to his father, he was sincere. He was dependent upon the father's power and strength. In fact, we're told here at the end of verse 7 that it was because of his reverence. It was because of his willingness to be humbled under the hand of his father that that Jesus was heard. Jesus was heard when he prayed and of course when the writer states that Jesus was heard he does not mean that Jesus was saved from the agonies of a physical death because we know that he suffered a physical death. We know that he was not delivered from the pain of his sacrifice but rather Jesus was heard in the sense that the father strengthened him. He was heard in the sense that he was allowed to finish his mission. The Father enabled Jesus to not only continue praying, but to persevere throughout the evening and even through the ordeal of his death upon the cross. For even as Jesus performed his priestly work praying in the garden, he not only demonstrated the full extent of his humanity, but he he displayed the full extent of his humility as a faithful high priest had been called to do. You get the picture here? I mean, is Jesus qualified? Oh my, forever qualified. Did He go through it? Did He really taste it? Did He really experience? Oh my, did He ever? Did He ever? Then secondly, Not only did Jesus meet and exceed the qualifications for a high priest by confessing his own weakness, but he demonstrated his fitness for the role through his willingness to surrender whatever honor he was entitled to, his willingness to surrender whatever honor he was entitled to in order that he might accomplish the greater task of honoring his father and his people for Jesus would have to set aside his honor in order to bring salvation for us. For we read here in verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews 5, these words, Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so what the writer is saying is this, while Jesus had every right as the eternal son to claim for himself a position of honor, even before his resurrection and ascension, Jesus first chose instead the difficult path of humiliation. Jesus first chose instead the difficult path of complete submission. And in order to do so, Jesus, we're told here in verse 8, had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Now, I want you to notice and note this statement that he learned obedience for what is being declared here by the writer of Hebrews in that statement is indeed a great mystery. A great mystery for Jesus as the eternal son had no need to learn obedience. Since he had already pledged in obedience to God the Father in eternity past, the covenant of redemption, which I mentioned earlier, right? It was all based upon The concept of obedience. And yet there is a sense in which our Lord in the fullness of his humanity had to learn in surrendering his human will to that of his father. He had to learn in surrendering his human will to that of his father. And Jesus could not do that without the grace of God. He could not do so Until he was placed within that garden and ultimately nailed to the cruel cross at Calvary. For there, at the cross especially, all that Jesus learned in obedience to the Father was on full display. We ask the question was Jesus obedient to God? Look to the cross. Imagine Jesus hanging upon the cross. That's a display. Of obedience if there ever was one. Full obedience on display. Something that no one else could do. Someone else could not earn that. Jesus earned the right to be the sole source of eternal salvation. Because of what he did through obedience. And is this truth significant? Indeed it is. For here we find the rock solid theological foundation for all of our claims that there is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. For if our salvation required a humility that no man can display, and it did, And if our salvation requires a level of obedience and sacrifice that only Jesus could render, which it did, then only Jesus, only Jesus, as he is presented here in this passage in Scripture, could qualify as the one who could bring us salvation. Only Jesus. And yet let us notice as well that Jesus is not the source of salvation to all men without exception. For while the good news of Jesus goes out to all, he is only the source of salvation to those who obey him. Notice that in verse 9. Jesus is only the source of salvation to those who obey him, verse 9. And therefore, in presenting the Lord Jesus before men in our preaching and presenting the Lord Jesus before men and women in our witnessing, we must declare the whole counsel of God. And what is the whole counsel of God? The whole counsel of God is that God is not only sovereign over salvation, but we must declare that men are fully responsible for obeying Christ for salvation. For if men are to obtain salvation, Christ alone is the source, and they must be obedient to obey him. And yet we also know that men cannot obey Christ unless the Spirit of God gives them the power to do so. Then lastly... We see here that not only do these things point to Christ as the sole source of salvation, but as the one priest who truly has no beginning and no end. The one priest who has no beginning and no end. In fact, his identification here at the end of our text, verse 10, is the one who's been designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, speaks to this fact, and it removes all doubt as to whether Jesus is an eternal high priest forever, which Jesus most certainly is. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we'll explore this more when we get to Hebrews chapter 7. However, for now, let us rest in the knowledge The Christ is not only qualified to be our priest, but he also displays what it means to be a priest with perfection, with perfection. Therefore, let us not be hesitant in going to him. That's the application. If he is qualified to be your priest, if he proved that he has the competence to be your priest, that he has the willingness to be your priest that he is your priest with perfection, how can you be hesitant to go to him? Rather, go to him with great confidence, feeling the freedom to to speak to him from the heart and with reverence. Because he sympathizes with our needs. He understands our weaknesses. He's experienced the depths of our struggles We can go to him and be honest. We can go to him and say things and share things that we could share with no other human being. Because he is that kind of high priest. He is is gentle. He is gentle. And when he sees our ignorance, and our ignorance is apparent, amen? When he sees our ignorance, He does not despise us. He does not turn us away. He's sensitive. He never leaves us to ourselves. Oh, may this be an encouragement to all of us this morning, whatever our station, whatever our circumstances in life are today. For Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is a priest forever. A priest forever. And this morning you and I can rest in that promise. Are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Are you trusting him as your priest? Are you living in obedience to him? Are you reaching out to him confidently? Praying to him? Serving him? Knowing that he understands, knowing that he's done that work that you cannot do, knowing that he's accomplished salvation for you. Go to him today. Go to him today for salvation. And believer, go to him for fresh encouragement, for fresh courage, for the grace that you need in a time of trouble. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for this text of scripture this morning. And we would ask that you'd help us to understand it and to apply it in our lives this morning. Help us to trust in this forever priest that you presented to us in the Lord Jesus. Help us to set aside all doubt Help us to set aside all hesitation to go freely and confidently to him, knowing that he cares for us, knowing that he hears us. And Father, we would just ask if there's somebody here this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, who's never bowed the knee to Jesus, who has never exercised faith and repentance in him, Oh, Father, may you open their hearts to the truth this morning. May you grant them the grace to believe in the truth and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this morning. And for those of us who are Christians, may you help us to be encouraged by our Lord's faithfulness and endurance, by his willingness to suffer, by his willingness to hear, by his willingness to help us in the day of trouble. Help us to look to him today, whatever our situation is. Maybe there's people here among us today, individuals, Christians who are struggling, finding it difficult to simply live the Christian life. Oh, Father, may you encourage them today with this vision of Christ through the scriptures. May you give their hearts much joy in knowing that Jesus is their priest, their forever priest, who acts and intercedes for them. Do all these things for your own honor and glory this morning, Father, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.